Hi, my name is Alan. I am the producer of the Courage to Lead interview series. I grew up in Australia, but my ancestors were first fleeters. I've learnt that this land is and always will be land cared for by the oldest Indigenous culture in the world, and that that land is and always will be Aboriginal land. Their culture is all about storytelling. So today I acknowledge the Darak people where this podcast is recorded and we extend our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I truly hope you enjoy today's story, which is someone's individual journey on how they traverse the challenges and the joys of becoming a leader. Welcome to the Courage to Lead interview series. The Minister for Emergency Management, Resources, Skills, Training and Workforce Growth in Tasmania under the Rockcliffe Ministry. Minister Felix Ellis, MP for the Division of Braddon. Welcome to the show, Minister. And Felix, I think you're, you're going to let me call you, so. G'day, Alan. Great to be with you. It's a little bit of a heads up, but I was uh, fortunate enough to be uh, a guest presenter at a leadership presentation at the Tasmanian Police last year. And I was invited to a, an official dinner afterwards. And Felix was the guest speaker at the dinner. And I was just blown away by Felix's story, your ability to, to tell a story and your kind of diversity in your background. So that's why I wanted to just have you on the show um, because you are very, like you're, you're 34 years old and you hold a, a ministry position in a very challenging government in the, in the Tasmanian state government at the moment. So let's get straight into it, uh, Felix, because you've only got about 30 minutes with us. Um, the, every guest on the show gets asked two questions. So the first question to you is, what was your first ever true experience of leadership? It can be yesterday or it can be back as a five-year-old or as, or whenever you can remember. Well, so, and look, thanks, and, and and appreciate those kind words. Look, probably my first um, uh, experience of, of leadership was just being an older brother. I'm, I'm the eldest of four and, uh, and, and certainly um, uh, any elder siblings would probably know that feeling of um, uh, being a leader from a, from a very early age, good or bad. But I actually think a true, um, my first true experience of leadership uh, was actually a disappointing one for me. Uh, I, um, I was fortunate enough to be uh, the head boy of my primary school and, uh, and and really loved that. I grew up in Broome in the Kimberleys, went to Cable Beach Primary School, beautiful part of the world. Was always a, did well at school as a kid. Um, but had probably not necessarily been um, a, a leader uh, and was fortunate enough to uh, be elected as the um, as the uh, head boy for Cable Beach Primary School. But I don't actually think I did particularly well in the job, uh, as, as most blokes can probably attest, completely outshone by the head girl of <laughs> Cable Beach Primary School that year. Um, but for me, it was a it was a real it was a real eye opening experience for just how um, unprepared I was for for this role, even a small role as a um, uh, as a you know as a head boy of a primary school uh, in a um, a little country primary uh, school in the middle of nowhere. I I think I dropped the ball. You know, I wasn't organised. I, uh, I didn't have a huge amount to say. I don't think I necessarily represented. The uh, my peers who put me in that in that position all that well, 
Um, and and that was quite a jarring experience as well because you know as I say did reasonably well in school and um, and and felt like as you do when you're 12 years old you know everything yeah <laughs> and and this was this was a completely foreign experience where I was ill-equipped didn't have the tools uh, and for a year I think probably floundered and didn't mm. do all that well so that was my um, first true experience of leadership both me failing and probably seeing my um, my head girl counterpart just absolutely blow things out of the water. So, yeah. That's a pretty honest, uh, and it's, I think leadership's all about reflection. Um, I've, I've had other guests on the show regret. Um, oh, yeah, well, I wish I'd done it differently. Um, what did you learn from that? I, I learned from it that you really need to be prepared and that leadership is not like um, it's not like the things that you might study in a book uh, that you might um, you know pass or fail in a test that it's uh, it's it's people focused that it's particularly around servant leadership I mentioned before I didn't probably do all that good a job in terms of representing my my peers in um, uh, Cable Beach Primary School and uh, and and a big part of that I think was that I thought I knew everything when I was at that age yeah and and it it did um it did sort of um uh inspire me in a way once I'd been able to reflect on you know what the year actually really meant um as a you know just as a as a young teenager that there was so much more to learn about this space and that if you're gonna if you're gonna be put in a position of um of authority even if it's a small one uh that you need to make the most of your time because the other thing was you know it's it's a year uh and and you get to the end of it and it's done uh and yeah, you yeah and, and whatever leadership position it is, you you need to be prepared so that you can make an impact with the time that you're given. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's probably my my big reflections on that first true uh, leadership experience. I love. Um, I've been doing the show for nearly two years now, uh, and I love where people like yourself actually take us in answering that question like we, we could stop the interview now essentially yeah <laughs> uh because uh, you've, you've given us a pretty good gem there so the next question and then we'll then we'll get into your story wherever you want to take us um uh what is something about felix ellis that no one knows so this is a good question i mean as politicians we're um uh in the spotlight a fair bit so we're a little bit uh open book i suppose but um Probably one that's uh, not well known in uh, my community was that when I first moved to Tasmania, uh, I uh, I was reasonably young, early 20s, just finished my apprenticeship uh, over in WA and uh, came over to Tassie to uh, pursue my other lifelong dream, which was to uh, write the great Australian novel. And um, uh, I, I succeeded in writing a novel, but it's definitely not the great Australian novel. And yeah. um, uh, it was, yeah, probably um, like, like all first novels, I suppose, probably a big flop, um, but not one that I had the persistence to um, to keep going and get published or turn it into something good oh, either. Okay. So, um, so I suppose that's probably something that uh, there are a few people that do know that one, um, but uh but for people that um, uh, are in my community, they may not know that one about me. Well done. Well, man, as someone, I, I wrote my first book 
I published it last year, so I know the pain behind that. Um, but well, well done. That's that's a good story because it's uh, there's a lot of work goes into that. Yeah. Uh, and it and it's, it's so interesting. My hat goes off to people that are actually able to stick with it. I thought I loved writing, and then going through the process of you know writing an eighty thousand word novel. I hated it by the end. <laughs> I just woke up every day when I had a had a writing task ahead of me and went, "What else can I do today that's not writing?" So yeah, yeah, I think it's um, I think it's an amazing act of perseverance to to get through yes. to the end of it and produce a good product as well. Good story, good story. Um, so I might just you just took us a little hint there. You finished your apprenticeship in WA and then you moved to Tasmania in your mid early tw- mid to early twenties. What was your appren- apprenticeship in? Yeah, so I'm a plumber and gas fitter. Um, uh, did my time with my dad, uh, who's also a plumber and gas fitter. Um, still lives in WA, and yeah, and just really, really blessed to have had that time. As I, as I sort of mentioned, did reasonably well in school, but I spent, um, I did a gap year, and um, before you know, going to university, and uh, went to the states. Global financial crisis happened, and there were a lot of um, there were a lot of corporate lawyers and finance people and stuff, um, you know, just um, having their livelihoods and lives completely upended and devastated. And and I sort of thought, well, you know, maybe spending a bit of time on the tools um, and, uh, and and learning something practical is, is a really good start in life. And I think as well, fortunately, we're probably waking up to the fact um, as a country that you don't need to go to university to have great opportunities in life as well. So, yeah, I did my apprenticeship with my dad, enjoyed that. It's a bit different, as many people know, working in a family business, going to work together and then, you know, still being on good terms when you go home yeah. and, uh, and have dinner uh, at, at, at night. But loved it, um, you know, great experience and, um, and very fortunate to have worked on the tools. Uh, as my sort of as my first career beautiful beautiful look we've only got you for a short time so i I, i'll just throw this question to you and you take us where you want to take us um it's it's quite kind of it's probably pretty publicly known that the Tasmanian state government is a is a is a brutal beast um uh as any as is any probably parliament um you're 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 still there and and you're obviously to any listener right now you're a very eloquent good uh well-spoken person who started as a tradesperson um so take us where you want to take us how like you i've read some of your stuff about um yeah yeah you've taken on the euthanasia bill i think uh you know against that but then i've seen you in action um talking about police and welfare and you're a very compassionate man how does someone your age um uh negotiate and and i would dare say describe it thrive in the environment that you're in and 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 create longevity what you have you you're a leader in your field you lead a community as a minister you take us where you want to take us where did you learn the skills to survive and i would say thrive in a very challenging environment what what would your where do you want to take us yeah well so look i I suppose i'm 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 not really um uh, not really too sure where i've um picked up some of the things although a lot of learning by doing uh, which is i suppose a pretty common experience for people I, when you and i uh, first met 
it's talking about the experience of um, being a young person and uh, at different points in your life and, and in your leadership journey, you'll look around expecting somebody else to lead um, and to take action. And, and it's actually everyone's looking at you. And there yeah. is no one else that you can fall back and rely on. Um, I have this experience with, um, you know, rural communities as well, where uh, yeah, young people will have to step up and uh, become the volunteer firefighters in their community and be the people that other people in their community are relying on to potentially save their lives, their families uh, and their properties. Yeah. And it was only a few years ago where some of these guys and girls were in high school and they were relying on those other people to even drive them around and provide for their basic sustenance. So I think in many ways, you know, we 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 all sort of have a moment where where we're we're called to lead, where you 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 look around and and you are that person that people are then relying on. I was very fortunate to have done an apprenticeship because it teaches you a lot, you know, hard work, humility, uh, it gives you mentors and structure around your life. Um, and and a practical way of approaching um, problem solving, and probably even more than that, important for um, representative leaders like politicians, but there are others in that category too. It, a trade puts you in the homes of people from all walks of life, True. and um, yeah. and and regardless of regardless of who they are, you know whether they've got a big house by the beach or they're a, a pensioner in a one bedroom flat, you know we've all got those basic necessities of life that we we rely on and when they're not working we're quite vulnerable and we need someone to come into our space and help and and as a plumber um you know that's that's part of the gig and but as a politician as well uh, that's part of the, a part of the gig people will come to you uh, with different constituent concerns when you're a local member and they maybe have never engaged with politics or a politician before or the bureaucracy and don't know uh, who to turn to and and you've got to be able to help people in those situations so I'm fortunate I've had some of that good grounding and then it's grown and grown over time very um I like your answer let's let's try and delve into that uh so you're in your mid-20s you go to Tasmania um you're still a fitter and turner there fitter and gas turner but then not long after that you you end up in politics. How, how does, um, where does the lessons, I, I really love what you talked about for apprenticeships. I'm like, they set, uh, they set up hard work, humility, a mentorship, and practical problem solving. That's that's a beautiful uh, epitaph for, for, for what apprenticeships can give you. Where do you learn the skills to go into politics? Where, where did that come from? So I suppose always been interested in politics, and um, I, one of the things about growing up in quite a remote area um, is that I think Tim Winton talked talked about this. Maybe Tim Winton or Richard Flanagan, uh, but one of our great Australian authors, anyway, uh, spoke about uh, the that experience. And often your peers are the people that you read about in books, mm. rather than the peers who are around you. So. Yeah, as a kid, voracious reader. Um, yeah, it sounds sounds a bit odd, but you know, reading the biographies of prime ministers and presidents and all that sort of stuff in our little country town in the middle of nowhere, uh, and 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 had a sense from my 
parents around the importance of public service. You know, mum's a remote area nurse, worked in some of the most disadvantaged communities um, in our country. Uh, and and for me, politics was, was the area of public service that I found um, most compelling. Uh, and uh, I suppose that's that's probably the the journey. In some ways, you know, coming into um, uh, coming into elected politics, still unprepared, but with a sense of um, you know who I might look to model the behaviour of of a good politician, and 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 fortunate enough to to look at you know prime ministers and presidents and people that have have done it on a huge scale and wanted to emulate that in my small little world here in um, in Tasmania, I suppose. Okay, so um, if, uh, I, I like we've taken you, you're a voracious reader. So who did you, um, what, if you don't, if you want to, please nominate the person that you wanted to emulate or, or people, skills that you wanted to emulate, or, or do you want to just nominate the, the traits that you wanted to emulate as a politician? Uh, good question. So in my in my um, first speech to Parliament, I rattled off uh, a list of names and um, of of people that I I have um, admired the most across a range of different um, political leadership forums. And so I'll see if I can do it off the top of my head. Um, Washington, Wilberforce, Christ, King, Lincoln, Churchill. Menzies, Hawke, uh, Robin Gray, Eric Reese, who are both Tasmanian premiers, and Noel Pearson and Pat Dodson. Um, and Pat Dodson's actually just uh, just retired from the Senate. Um, and I suppose people across a range of different um, uh, political leadership areas, and and not necessarily. Um, not necessarily the world's greatest politicians. You know, I think William Wilberforce, he was a backbencher for almost all of his career, um, but was effectively the man that led the charge to end slavery. Uh, yeah. And I think the thing that I admire most about those people is is the courage under fire to ha have, your have the convictions um, that will drive you forward uh, to serve the people that you need. It's not always an easy job in politics. It's it's hard to get hard things done. And uh, I've, I find a lot of uh, inspiration with the way that um, those people mostly carried out their work. Obviously, we're all we're all human, so we don't get everything perfect. And I know that even even those sort of the greats of um, of leadership in a political sense, they have failed in many, many um, times in their journey. So, uh, yeah, the, I think I think that's some of the things that I'm I most admire. Okay, um, I like where where that question went. Would you be prepared to give an example? Because personally, like my book is pretty open about where I failed, <laughs> um, and then <laughs> and then kind of learnt from that failure. Are you prepared to on on this podcast to say where you had a flop, um, and you think, oh my god, that was pretty bad, and how you picked yourself up from that, and and moved on from that? Yeah, good question. Good question. Um, so, oh gosh, I, I, and it is it is a little bit tricky as a um as a yes, politician yeah, to. Yes, I, <laughs> so you I, don't have to answer it, but about, um, about some of your vulnerabilities. Um, 
but we, I, I, it is something that I do try and try and own in terms of 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 the need for us to um, continually continually be learning uh, and uh, how we might do things better. Um, Oh gosh. So one of one of okay, well, one of the areas where I, I do think and I wasn't a, a minister at the time, so um this probably carries a little bit of a different weight, but I do think that it is it is so important that as a community we learn from everything that happened during the COVID pandemic. And it was it was such a radically different um, time in the lifetime of our state here in Tasmania, lifetime of our nation, our world, and um, and and governments didn't always get things right, uh, and the people in public service didn't always get things right, uh, and I think the opportunity to learn from that is going to be really critical. We spoke before a little bit about humility. Um, you know, got some of the finest expert minds in the world uh, in Australia, and um, but we do we do also need the humility to learn from from that experience how we could do things better. You know, I've been part of the government here in Tasmania for my whole career, even just as as a backbencher. Um, and and certainly, I think that there's that there's much that we need to learn from um, in that space uh, because we we didn't get everything right, couldn't have got everything right, mm. uh, and um, and there have been times where where I've where I, I wish that I had of um, uh, wish that I had been able to put someone's case more forcefully um, as a um, as a local member and and probably shied away from that. At yeah. different points in time during that pandemic, um, because it was, you know, you have a real a real need to kind of rally around your your leaders um, as they're making really tough decisions. But at the same time, you need to be able to you need to be able to support them as best as you possibly can, but also bring to their attention what's what's what the effects of their decisions are on people on the ground who who you're there to represent, and I think as a um, as a backbencher that was one of the big um, learnings um, for me during that time is that you know sometimes you just you just have to do it even if it feels like um, even if it feels like there's immense pressure to um, uh, to rally around the the leader and their decisions. I'm not going to narrow down on it. I think you've been very brave. I, I I totally understand where, where you're where you're answering from that. Um, so thank you for that answer. Do you want to? Um, and it sounds so. I'll, let me take you forward a little bit now. So from reading your bio, you're now the Tasmanian Parliament Whip, and also and also some I saw some there was a title there where you're the representative of the premier or something like that um I've, I've, I don't know the correct yeah. term of that I'm probably going to have to update wherever that uh, wherever that website was cuz it has been a bit of a wild ride Alan um so over the last um over the last 2 years basically I've gone from um backbencher through to um yeah you sort of rattled off the the list before but added a couple of others so 
police, fire and emergency management, skills and training, workforce growth, mining and forestry, racing, and now um, leader of the house as well. So I'm kind of That's right. in, yeah. in, in charge of um, uh, getting our legislation agenda through, managing parliament, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it wasn't actually all that long ago that I was the whip and um, parliamentary secretary to the premier, but okay. you know, things, so, things happen so- quick sometimes. So the thing you just said, the leader of the house where you get the legislation through and even the other, the whip one and the representative of the premier, can you give an example, like you said, as as the, the 12-year-old boy, head boy, you weren't prepared um, and you, and you, and you learnt. Can you give an example of now that you're in those senior positions in government and you saw what you couldn't do as a backbencher um in in the say the covid covid what do you do now with that leadership ex- responsibility um and t- time frame you talked about like a, you're you're only there till the next election possibly <laughs> um and then so how did you how do you prepare yourself for that for your net for new level of responsibility and how do you navigate your obligation and responsibility to yourself and your constituents so you, you're not left wanting by your standards? Yeah, no, good question. And and you're right, you know, as politicians, we the, the clock starts ticking from day one um, and you don't necessarily know when the end of your time will be, but we all have a shelf life in politics and we, um, you know, our community has the opportunity to rehire us or sack us every four years uh, effectively and that's um and, and that's let alone our colleagues that um, may decide what um leadership positions within the within the um the parliament that we take on yeah. as well so we've got to be got to be conscious of, of we need to do do something with the time and you know i'm i'm young so um perhaps my focus is um uh, is probably even more naturally biased towards the future, and particularly um, having kids. You know, I've got two little boys, one and three, and and I think very intensely about their future and some of the some of the challenges that they will face. That you know, my generation or those that have gone before won't necessarily have needed to shoulder the same burden. So you think about. Um, an aging community. You know, when when Robert Menzies was prime minister, I think there were 30 working age people to every person over the age of 65. Now that's four people for every person over the age of 65, and the and the and the challenges that come with providing the services that those people will need. But when my little boys are my age, um, there'll be probably only three working age people um, for every person over the age of 65 what does that mean for their um, prosperity how do we manage that as a community and how do we manage as well with um, a changing climate for example that means more frequent more severe natural disasters um, uh, let alone global instability uh, and and the difficult uh, you know you only need to look around what's happening in the world at the moment um, with Ukraine and Israel uh, and some of the other yes. some of the other scary challenges, we we need to be making decisions now that will future proof or or or, 
or make the make the future of our children as resilient as possible to some of these um, some of these shocks that we can um, the ones that we can predict, of course, but even the ones that we can't predict as well. Um, so I, I suppose um, uh, I suppose that's that's got to be something that we that we think about intensely as as politicians at different times. Um, I you know if I think about my own um, my own journey, I probably um, don't necessarily intuitively get that. Um, other people may not be as intensely focused on the big challenges of the future and maybe are focused on the challenges of of now mm. and working through um, with my community colleagues people in parliament um, uh, around how how do we how do we build the case for the the change for the future when there are also challenges in the present that's always a difficult balance you know that's the that's the balance of leadership as well yeah. um and and i suppose having the having the humility to recognize that my um my biases as a young person um uh skew me towards one set of thinking um and that that you really need to be able to um that you really need to be able to cover off on the whole field mm. okay very very good answer i got very conscious of your times so, um let me. You mentioned your family, your two little boys. Your wife is a. I think I read is a former late line um, rep, reporter, journalist from the ABC. What's, yeah, what's land, that, what's, landline. Yeah, yep. what, what's that look like at home? Is there yeah, is, so, is she your uh, moral compass, and <laughs> what's the discussions like at the dinner table? Yeah. So um, yeah, we're I you know just absolutely blessed to have um, met. My wife Margot, she's been a journalist um, in a range of different um, uh, rural um, reporting with the ABC. So she did the rural report, the Country Hour, um, and then was on Landline. And um, it's interesting. She's a she's a city girl, um, and yet she's uh, just you know fallen in love with with rural Australia, uh, and 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 made some you know quite radical decisions as well to to pursue that path and that life. Um, yeah. You know, Sydney looks very different to Sassafras, where we live. I can tell you. Yeah. And um, uh, look, I suppose like um, like most people that have a really strong and healthy partnership. Yeah, she's um, she's absolutely a rock, a moral compass, uh, and um, and and also that um, that we, we we have a home. I think where we can where we can return to and the you know the different pressures of the day whatever whatever those might have been for me or for Margot um are um are, are things that are external and then you know within our within our world we're focused on you know uh, continuing to build a healthy marriage um uh, parent to young boys that just mean the world to us and um yeah and and as well you know, try not to um, get too cranky at each other about this hundred-year-old house that we've got that still needs a lot of renovating, and and neither of us have a lot of time. So yeah, uh, that's, sounds that's beautiful. The, the balance. All right. Look, as I said, um, you we've only got you sure for a short time, so let's wrap it up. Like you are kind of the, the epitome of what uh, I like to this the the courage to lead interview series is to identify leaders who who empower others to create a supportive and res uh, supportive and resilient um, 
supportive and inclusive either workforce, environment or community. So you're doing that for your community. Um, and I love where you went with it. You, if something has to be taken on, well, I've got to take it on uh, and navigate that. You know, so either through supporting the leadership or or giving an alternative um, argument. What would you advise someone like you? You've kind of blown the 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 barriers off age or anything like that. Uh, and and what you said, university. Um, you don't need to go to university to be an effective leader. How would you advise someone? At any age to lead in the in the way that you lead. So uh, look, good question. So I, I suppose the first thing that I would say is um, to young people thinking about specifically the narrow form of um, of leadership which I'm engaged, which is political leadership, uh, is don't rush it. Um, you know, I'm probably. Uh, not the right person to be saying that in many ways because things have happened so quickly for me, but probably by accident. Um, but I do think that I do think that um, uh, young people can bring unique um, life traits and skills to the challenges and 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 opportunities of leadership as well. You'll see things through a different light to many of your um, to many of your peer leaders to many of your senior leaders and to many of your followers and that diversity of viewpoint is really important um, uh, particularly if we're, we're to build a healthy future focused organization in whatever um, category that we're in um, humility to to um, know that you know there are um, that there's so much experience um, in in the people around you and and you mentioned before Alan whatever walk of life that is whether they're a you know a, a PhD from university or they finished high school in grade 10 there will be knowledge that will be distributed across your team and your community and the people that you lead for and with um, that that will surprise you uh, and that it's important to continually seek that out to empower them to make them feel comfortable bringing it forward as well because you know I'm, I'm a big believer that as as leaders our key job is to um, uh, empower and bring out the best of those people around us um, and uh, being really intentional about that um, is is absolutely critical beautiful beautiful any other gems uh, well, the other thing that I would definitely recommend for young people if they're thinking about a career in politics uh, is think about first a career um, in the military or, like yourself, think about a career in policing uh, because both are, both are incredible grounding, I think. I, I didn't do either, uh, mm. but my experience with police in particular uh, and friends who joined the military is that both of those institutions uh, – uh, do what good institutions do, which is they make the people who've spent more, spent time in them better people. Uh, and yeah, that that doesn't apply universally, of course, because you know people are not all the same, and there's good and bad and all that sort of stuff. But um, the the skills, the outlook on life, the um, the approach to solving practical problems, and the challenges of dealing with a big bureaucracy as well. Uh, I I think that yeah. Police and the military is a wonderful grounding uh, for future politicians. Um, and being a plumber is not too bad as well. Yeah, no, wow, wow. 
I'm sorry that we've only got you swapped for such a short time. So maybe down the track um, uh, we could have you again because you've you've just shared so much um, wisdom and candor. And like a lot of people at your level, it just rolls off your tongue because you're living it every day. So thank you, Felix, for coming onto the uh, coming onto our humble show, the the courage to lead. Um, like it's the first time. We've had a minister, yes, it's the first time we've had a minister of any government uh, come onto the show, so I, I thank you wholeheartedly for coming onto the show, uh, and thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you, Alan. Appreciate it. Well, how good was that, everyone? Felix Ellis acknowledged the limited time of political leadership and the imperative of making a meaningful impact. He emphasised the need to consider the future and the challenges that lie ahead for the next generations, such as an aging population, the threat of climate change and global instability. And if we reflect on them just for a minute, the frequency of each of those items is only increasing day by day. Felix shared his advice for aspiring leaders, stressing the importance of embracing diverse viewpoints, practicing humility, recognizing our own personal biases and empowering those around us. He suggested that careers in the military or policing could provide a solid foundation for future politicians, given the skills and life perspectives these roles offer. Felix is a leader who embodies the courage and dedication required to navigate the complexities of government and the ever-changing landscape of public service. His story is a testament to the power of humility, hard work and the relentless pursuit of improvement, principles that can guide us all regardless of our chosen paths. Something I really liked about Felix Ellis was what his executive assistant said to him, said to me about him before the interview without him even knowing. Felix was late coming to the interview and I thought that due to his position in politics, something more important than our humble podcast might have come up. Felix EA said to me, Felix is very reliable. He won't let you down if he can help it. A great unsolicited reference from the people who work for Felix Ellis. Until next time, thanks for listening. Now then, if you like today's podcast, please leave a short review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you choose to get your podcast from. These reviews are influential and I suggest that you share it with anyone you know who might be curious about being a better leader. Today's show was produced by Alan Sicard. It was edited by Alan Sickard and mixed by Alan Sickard. The theme music is by a musician called Savic and it is titled Legacy. I'm Alan Sickard. Thanks for listening.